And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you would focus our attention this morning on your word. Give us ears to hear. Lord, we desire to hear from you this morning and you alone. Give us grace to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so what is the message of the church? What makes the message of the church distinct? Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons, said this, The motto of all true servants of God must be, We preach Christ and Him crucified. A sermon without Christ in it is like a loaf of bread without any flour in it. No Christ in your sermon, sir? Then go home and never preach again until you have something worth preaching. We proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This should be the message of every local church. That's our message. And as Christians, we definitely have a lot to say, but we only have one message. And so the main point of my sermon is pretty simple. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the message of the church. Jesus Christ and Him crucified is the message of the church. But the temptation in our day, as we proclaim, is to be more acceptable. The temptation in our day is to make the message more entertaining. The temptation in our day is to make the message less offensive. And in doing this, we put so much focus on the messenger, and we end up sharing the wrong message. Paul faced the same issues with the Corinthian church. He was there with them for three years. Or so he, was, uh, he had been there uh, three years before, and, and divisions started to form as members of the church started to associate themselves with different leaders. They started to put their confidence in these leaders' abilities, in their wisdom, in their strength. A celebrity preacher culture started to form. They also began to drift from the gospel message. It's quite possible they thought the message of the cross was only for the beginning of the Christian life and not living the Christian life. And so the Apostle Paul addresses this head-on by reminding the Corinthians his approach in sharing the gospel with them. 
Take a look at verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. Paul says, when I came to you guys, I didn't proclaim the gospel in a way that was flashy. Remember, when you received Christ, it was through a message that contained no human wisdom, no power. Paul knew that the Corinthians loved big words and complex ideas. And if he gave them what they wanted, they would definitely not understand the message he was proclaiming. It would undermine the message that he was proclaiming. He wanted people to be clear on what God had done in sending his son into the world without any distraction from flashy words. Take a look at verse 3. Paul continues. He says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. The Apostle Paul is often thought of as a man who was confident and strong. But if you read the book of Acts and read Paul's letters, Paul went through some immense suffering. He was frequently in pain and constantly in danger. And so when he visited the Corinthians, he came as a weak messenger. He came as a weak messenger. He was probably poor in health. He had suffered physical abuse because of his faith. Most likely he was ill. His appearance was probably questionable. And we know from Acts that before Paul arrived in Corinth, he preached in Athens where some believed, but most of the people mocked him. Paul was humiliated in Athens to the point of when he arrived in Corinth, the Lord comes to him in a vision and tells him to not be afraid, to go on speaking, to not be silent. Paul also could have been anxious over the lostness of the city of Corinth and the major task that he had in preaching the gospel to these lost people. And so whether Paul was nervous or that he was in poor health or overwhelmed with the task or maybe a combination of those things, we do not know for sure, but whatever it was, he came to the Corinthians in weakness, in fear, and with much trembling. Paul wasn't impressive to the crowd. But some were powerfully transformed by the message. Look at verse 4. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Paul's focus was the message itself, not how he delivered it. Paul says that, or Paul said to the Corinthians, I didn't want you to buy into philosophy or to put your ideas or to put your faith in the ideas of a man or in man's opinions. I didn't want you to be persuaded by the way I used my words. Paul wasn't this sleazy salesman trying to convince the Corinthians to believe. He didn't tailor the message in order to satisfy the expectations of his hearers. Instead of depending on himself, Paul depended completely and utterly on God. Verses 4 and 5, And my speech and my message 
were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's approach in his humble speech, in his weakness, it gave way for the Spirit to work in the hearts of his hearers. There's no greater demonstration of divine power than the changed lives of truly regenerate people. Charles Spurgeon said, the power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Otherwise, men would be converted by other men. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Otherwise, it consists in the wisdom of men. We might preach until our tongues rotted, until we would exhaust our lungs and die, but never a soul would be converted unless the Holy Spirit be with the Word of God to give it the power to convert the soul. God does not need our human wisdom or or abilities in order to save. God does not need our human wisdom or abilities in order to, to save or even establish his kingdom. There was nothing special about Paul. But when the message he preached started to impact his listeners, it was obvious that there was something special about the message. The Corinthians saw the power of God as the Spirit worked in the hearts of those who listened. And so what did Paul preach What was his message? Look at verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul emphasizes his decision to make Jesus the center of his teaching to the Corinthians. Paul proclaimed the cross of Christ with full confidence that this is where the power of God lies. Everything depends on the content of the message, not the methods of the messenger. Paul preached the word of the cross. He says in chapter 1, we preach Christ crucified. In chapter 2, he says that he came proclaiming the testimony of God. What's the testimony of God? Jesus Christ. He made a deliberate decision to center his message on Jesus Christ alone. And he didn't emphasize Jesus being a great ethical teacher or a moral example or a great leader. Paul instead announces the scandal of the cross. Paul announces a salvation which required his hearers to admit their own unworthiness and helplessness before God. And of course, Paul taught more than just Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. But the cross was central to all that he taught. And so the cross should be central to our message. 
Jesus Himself says in John 12 that His purpose for coming was to be lifted up. To be lifted up on the cross. It is at the cross where we see the love of God. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9-10, through 10, it says this, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Christ's death on the cross is proof of God's love. The cross was always the plan. The Old Testament prophesied the death of Christ. When Peter preached in Acts 2, he says that Jesus was delivered up and crucified according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This was always the plan. The cross demonstrates God's love, and the cross also demonstrates God's justice and His righteousness. God is both the just and the justifier. At the cross, God's wrath was poured out on sin. At the cross, Jesus bore the punishment that we deserve. And to those who believe in Jesus, we receive His righteousness. To be clear, we should never think that Jesus' life was just a means to an end. That He had to live in order to die. His life was just as important as His death. When Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the garden... They brought God's judgment on the whole human race. Sin spread to all mankind. And so in order to free us from the judgment of God, two things needed to happen. We needed to pay the penalty for our sin, and we needed to live the perfect life that God called us to live. We needed to pay the penalty of our sin, and we need to live the perfect life that God required of us. But we are powerless to do those two things. Some think that they'll be rewarded or get to heaven for doing good in this life, but that's a lie. We are powerless to save ourselves. But God made a way. Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins. But he also lived a perfect and sinless life. And so as Jesus dies on the cross, for those who believe, their sins are forgiven and they are given his perfect righteousness. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus is the second Adam, the sinless son, the obedient son who reconciles us back to God. Isaiah 53.5 says, 
But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. For those who believe, God offers forgiveness. Forgiveness from our sins. Through Jesus being pierced and crushed. But Christ rose from the dead, securing eternal life for those who believe. And one day He will return and gather His people to Himself. This is good news. The real Gospel has the cross at its center. But the message of the cross is also humbling and offensive. As Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians, this message was and is foolishness to the unbeliever. And if we consider Paul's first century audience, the talk of a crucified king who died on a Roman cross being the hope of the world would sound like insanity. The Jews were looking for the Messiah, for the Messiah to come and demonstrate himself in signs and power and authority. And the Greeks were looking for a new idea and a clever argument. A Messiah hanging on a cross was not what the Jews were expecting and not what the Greeks would be into. It's foolish to the one who hears it first. But it's also a very humbling message because it exposes us. The message tells everyone that there is something wrong with them. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There are some who argue that the gospel can be preached without mentioning sin. They say people find it too offensive, so don't share that part. Don't listen to these people. Don't listen to these people. Our greatest problem is sin. How can you not point out the disease that plagues us all? J.C. Ryle wrote on sin saying, Terribly black must our sin be for which nothing but the blood of the Son of God could make satisfaction. Terribly black. We sing that song, What Can Wash Away My Sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of the Son of God can cure this problem. And we don't want to let people know that they have this problem because we don't want to offend them. What's more offensive? Not telling them that there's a problem? Or telling them about the problem. We have such a low view of what sin is. And it's most likely because we view it too horizontally. We consider the effects of sin on ourselves and other people. That's important, but more importantly, sin is rebellion against God, it's rejecting His love. It's disobeying His commandments. And this results in eternal punishment. 
we must address the spiritual state of our hearers. Yes, telling someone that they are a sinner will most times cause an offense. And we must use our words wisely. Asking God for wisdom. But we cannot shy away from preaching the message of the cross, which includes explaining why Jesus had to come and die. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus says in Luke 24, 46-47, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in His name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. The Gospel message calls sinners to repent and believe. But as we preach this Gospel, let's avoid only preaching the benefits of the Gospel without proclaiming Christ Himself. That's what Paul is getting at here when he mentions we preach Christ, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. We preach Jesus Christ We are urging people to believe in Jesus Christ. Not to just pray a prayer and get God's forgiveness and have peace. The Gospel isn't a get a ticket to heaven message. It's a call for sinners to find forgiveness in the One who died on the cross for them. It's for them to believe in Him. To confess Him as Lord. When people truly believe in the Gospel, they get Jesus. He's better than any of the benefits we could receive. God the Son, our Savior, our Shepherd, our King. We preach the person who accomplishes the work of salvation. Not just the work and its blessings apart from the Savior Himself. True Christians delight in Christ. And He should always be the center and focus of our boasting in the church. The message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified is good news. In 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes that it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Remember, the reception that people have of the gospel that we preach doesn't depend on us. We are to be faithful in declaring the message, but trust the Spirit to do the work so that when people come to the understanding that Jesus did die on the cross for them. And they put their faith in Him. They put their faith in Him as their rescuer and their ruler. And their lives are transformed. Their faith will rest in the power of God, not in the wisdom of men. And so in conclusion, I would like to encourage you with three points of application. 
Be faithful in proclaiming the message. Be clear and be dependent on God. Be faithful in proclaiming the message. We are not called to be great public speakers so that people are drawn in by our abilities. People should be drawn in by our message. We are called to share the good news. We are called to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. But since we live in a culture that's so opposed to the word of the cross, there's going to be a demand for a different message. Christians are constantly tempted to alter the message, to water it down, to make it more appealing. And while these popular alternatives will be presented to you by those in the world and those within the church, we must reject them because they will not save. This is the only message that will redeem and save. In 1 Timothy 1.15, the Apostle Paul writes, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you believe that the power of the cross of Christ, that power alone can save? Do you believe in this message? If you do, then proclaim it. And let me be clear, the message of the church isn't believe in yourself. You can do it. The message of the church isn't political theory. The message of the church isn't cultural reform or social justice. The message of the church, it's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Is this what the world hears? Is this what the world hears coming from the pulpit of our churches? Is this what the world hears when we go into the world and proclaim the Gospel? Because is, if this isn't what the world hears, then we lose our best influence. Those in the world need the message of salvation. The message of the life, the death, the resurrection, the second coming of Jesus. And all of our ministries here at Calvary must proclaim this message. Our women's ministry, our youth ministry, our Sunday schools, our children's ministry, this pulpit, the worship team, we should all be proclaiming Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is the message of the church. This is the message we need. This is the message the world needs. And so let's commit ourselves to this task. If our message can be confused with politics or worldly concerns, then we're not being clear enough. If we stop proclaiming this message, 
we should just close the church altogether because we've lost the influence that God wants us to have on this world. God has called us to be experts in this message. He has called all of us to be experts of this message, and he has given us his word. This word contains all you need to know about the message. And so we must study the word of God so that we can know him and make him known. So be faithful in proclaiming the message. And also be clear. Sometimes our proclamation of the gospel sounds a little Christianese. We use words within the church that those out in the world don't even understand. You don't need to use fancy words. Speak like you normally do. Be genuine and authentic. I know a lot of you like Charles Spurgeon. So do I. Definitely learn the truths that Spurgeon teaches, but don't speak like Charles Spurgeon. It would be really weird for you to all of a sudden break out into Old English when you give your gospel presentation. Be clear to who you're talking to. And also be earnest. We all get nervous. We're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing, that we're going to offend somebody. But take a breath and pray. Think about this. If we can be more passionate about politics and sports, then the message of salvation, something's wrong. And it's not that we just fear public speaking. Because we have no problem speaking about sports and politics in the public square. If our passion for Jesus doesn't come across, our listeners aren't going to believe what we have to say. Be earnest. Be clear. And be dependent on God. Simply share the truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Be clear. Be earnest. And then trust in God to work in the heart of the person that you shared the gospel with. Don't depend on yourself. Pastor John Stott said, the only preaching God honors is the preaching of a man who is willing in himself to be both a weakling and a fool. God not only chooses the weak and the foolish to save, but he chooses the weak and the foolish to preach. And the more weak and the more foolish you are, the more God's word and God's power can be seen. Christ is able to save to the uttermost all who draw near to God through him. So be faithful in proclaiming the message. Be clear. Be dependent on God. Never forget that we follow a crucified Lord who calls us to pick up our crosses daily and follow him. The Christian life isn't a life of influence or power or security. We shouldn't seek a comfortable and easy life. We're called to so much more, to go into this broken world as weak men and weak women, to preach the powerful message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
Jesus Christ and him crucified is the message of the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us undeserving sinners by sending your son to die on the cross. Forgive us for constantly forgetting the grace and mercy that you've shown us and for neglecting to tell others about this amazing message. We pray that you would give us boldness to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified and for that, that this message would be central in our church. We pray for your Spirit to work in our hearts and unbelievers who hear this message. In Jesus' name, amen.